Good morning, brothers and sisters. What a wonderful morning. And don't you, when we sing these songs and of God and how, what a precious plan He made, and it does stir up all these emotions of what God has done for us, doesn't it? Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, will you calm our hearts and our minds and will you provide for us so that we can truly focus on you and hear your message clearly and understand it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, the sermon is... Yeah. It's called The Parable of the Lost Coin, but the title of the sermon is Lost at Home, and you'll see how I get to that. Let's read in our Bibles um, chapter 15 of Luke, Luke chapter 15, and it's a very short portion, just four verses, I think, in total. No, less than that even. Two, three verses. Okay, three. Call me a liar for one extra verse. Okay. Jesus is talking to people and he then say this. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she found it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, I hope you see that Jack preached last Sunday about the sheep. Do you remember? Somebody that had 100 sheep and one went astray. And he left the 99 alone and he went and searched for the other one. Now this is the second of three parables that Jesus was telling. Why is he telling these parables? In the first place, you have to go back to chapter, uh, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he's answering the critical church leaders of the time in these parables. And he gave them three parables because each parable is highlighting a different aspect of lostness and of foundness. Now, the first thing we need to understand is that God knows what it is to lose something. It's not just us that lose keys and stuff and glasses. I lose my glasses about once a day. And I'm sure you've lost stuff. And depending on what it is, you will search until you find it. But God lost something precious. He created humans in His image. And they got lost. So God understands what it is to lose something. God also understand what it means to diligently search and make a way to get that lost thing back. 
He sacrificed His Son to redeem you and me. So there's three parables. The one, the lost sheep. And I couldn't help when, when uh, Jack was telling it, thinking back, way back, when my father-in-law was telling this story to a group of children, and my children was among them, for no reason that I can understand, my father-in-law said, was it a he's sheep or a she sheep? And Abigail was absolute adamant. She was about this size. She said, a she sheep. Definitely a little girl. My father-in-law didn't explore why she thought that, but I to this day wonder why she thought. And I happened to notice when Jack preached last Sunday, he used she as the pronoun. So I have to question that one with him. Now we're looking at the lost coin. And then the third parable that he was telling was the lost sons. Now, can you see the difference between this one, all three of these? The first one, it was a sheep, a sheep that just wanders away. And the shepherd had to go and look for it. The second one is a coin, and we'll focus in on that just now. But the third one is a son. And if you read the parable carefully, it's actually the parable of the two lost sons, because both sons were lost. But there somebody actively made a decision to leave his father's house. It's like somebody actively decide to leave the church. And Jack referred to that last week. But here we look at a parable, a coin. Did the coin have any action to get lost? No, it just got lost. Did it leave the house? No, it was lost in the house. Sometimes a coin can be very valuable, and there's actually two views. The circumstances in which this coin was lost coin can be very valuable, and there's some speculation that this particular coin was a special coin, but there's no real indication in the Bible. It just says it's a coin. And sometimes a coin can be pretty valueless, so to speak. But sometimes it's not the financial value or the monetary value that's linked to a coin or an object, but more the memories that's lingered to that. Something that might be Invaluable for me might be completely valueless to someone else. Maybe a picture of my kids when they were young. Three generations from now, it will be chucked in a rubbish bin somewhere. But for me, it's important. I'll search for it till I find it. So there's emotional and financial value. Jesus focused on all kinds of people. And this comes out in this. It starts off there in verse 15, uh, verse 1 of uh, chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. The people that society was casted, casted out was gathering to hear Jesus. And the religious leaders questioned it. And Jesus was interested in both. He's telling this parable, he's telling this parable move to the right, the sound is better, I guess. He's telling this parable for the religious leaders, the people that's in the house, that is in the church. But he's also looking after those that is outside the church. So the lost can be at home 
in the church or in your house or for that matter it can be you whether you look on the TV or whether you are here. Ianthi Ianthi will just give a short testimony. Can you switch this on please? Good morning everybody. I'm going to tell you the story about how I was lost in God's church and how he searched until he found me. When we first came to Australia 20 years ago, one Sunday here in this church, the minister asked, have you ever been surprised by something? And a woman stood up and she said, I thought I was a Christian and then when my youngest child was born, I found out that I wasn't. This was pretty confronting. The thing was, it actually made me think. At that time, I was really struggling emotionally and spiritually to process our move here from South Africa. For me, it meant the loss of cherished dreams and expectations. The hopes I'd built my life on had been taken away. Things that made me feel, feel secure were shaky and, precar and precarious. And on top of that, I found that there was unresolved pain from my past that was coming to the surface. And I realized that I had been holding on to anger and unforgiveness and bitterness. Of course, I knew that I should surrender all of this to God, and this I tried to do, but it was no use. No matter how I prayed and wrestled in my spirit, I was tormented day and night, stuck in bondage to something I knew not what. I felt lost. I didn't know where to go for help. Who would understand and not judge me? I was not an unbeliever outside the church. I was right there in God's house every Sunday with my husband and my children, just as I had been as a child with my parents and my brothers. I was serving in the church. I was even leading worship. And yet God seemed so unimpressed by my efforts, as if he was hiding his face from me. One Sunday, the preacher said, God does not have grandchildren. He only has children. And I thought, that's it. I feel like God's grandchild. I'm somehow still riding along on this church trip, like a child in the back seat. My parents had the real life-changing encounter with Jesus. And as for me, I believe it all. I never wanted to leave the church. I prayed and I gave my life to God when I was 14. And I've turned up and served in his house all my life. But where is the pow encounter with Jesus that makes it all real for me? So I pondered those words of that woman who stood up in this church that day and said, I thought I was a Christian. And then one day I found out that I wasn't. And I asked myself, what if I'm not really a, a Christian? I'm not even actually saved. Surely, if I were properly saved, I would not still be dragging along this burden of suppressed anger. Surely, God should feel more real. And yet, how could I go and see the minister 
for example, who knew me as a strong, committed, faithful believer, a leader in the church. And then I would say, um, I'm not entirely sure that I'm actually a Christian. How awkward would that be? And all this went on in a very intense way for almost a year. I was continually searching for God. And somehow I knew that his spirit was with me, convicting me and teaching me, pursuing me with his irresistible grace. I kept crying out to him to send someone to help me. And then he did. And this is how it happened. We were without a minister, and so the church called Peter Mickelson to come and help us out for just three months. I saw my chance. I thought, he doesn't know me, and he will be leaving after three months. Maybe I can tell him my terrible secret. Here I am, and I'm in God's house, but I'm lost. So one Monday, one day, one Monday morning, I came to see him with his wife, Nell. We sat right over there in that room. I told them that I was struggling to forgive and let go of bitterness, and I was concerned that I might be just a pretend Christian. I asked if they could recommend someone to give me a few sessions of counseling so that I could understand why I'd been unable to find God in my struggles. And Peter said, you've been carrying this burden for long enough. God is going to set you free today. I was amazed, really? Today? We talked. I was troubled. They were wise. And then they stood behind me, right over there in that room. They put their hands on my shoulders. They prayed that God would set me free from everything that had come into my life that was not from him. They told me to pray out loud. I said, God, I am lost. Please come and find me. I immediately had a powerful sense that I had to let go of all sorts of things that I'd been depending on to make me feel secure. And I knew that if I let go, I was going to fall. Would I fall into the abyss of God's judgment for my sin? Having Peter and Nell there upholding me with their faith gave me courage. I let go. I fell. And God was there. His safe embrace of grace and forgiveness and love caught me and held me, and it was over. This was the defining moment of my life. I walked away, and everything was different. I thought, I've been in bondage all my life, and now I am free. I've been lost all my life in the very bosom of the church and now I am found. Thank you, Auntie. What can I say? Yep, there can be lost people all over the world. Let's look at the effort this woman went to to find the coin. We have to realize that God is at work to reclaim the lost. But let's look at this woman. She lit a lamb. 
Now in those days, and I like this actual picture, it was a pretty dark world at night. And you had to light a lamp. These days we can switch on lights and, you know, it really light our world up. What would be the equivalent of that? To lit your lamp so that you can find a lost coin. This is the word of God. This is the light that you and me need if we want to look for the lost in this world. She swept the floor. She took out a broom and she swept the floor. And then she started looking at it every square centimeter until she find that coin. God is asking from us to put aside time and money and effort to find the lost in our midst, in our families, in the church, in the world. We need to seriously spend the kind of effort that this woman has spent to find this coin. She searched diligently. We are in a process in this church, and I'll refer to it a little bit later. It's called Organic Outreach. And each of the elders on, and myself are, are now asked every session meeting to, I'd, first of all, make sure that we love God. Secondly, that we love the church. And thirdly, that we very, very carefully consider the people around us and identify people that we can influence that is actually lost. Now, the first time around for myself, I was quite relieved to realize that I don't know anyone that's lost. I made sure over the years that I don't know. But the question was, pray about it. And in my prayers, God showed me people that's very close to me that is actually lost. And I've already forgotten that they're lost, although they're close to me. So every session meeting, we as elders are now considering that. And we then diligently pray for that person and looking for an opportunity to actually present to them the gospel and make sure that they do it. So that's the first thing. We need to go to an effort to find the lost in our lives and in our area. Then the finding and the rejoicing. She found the coin. She lit the lamp. She swept the floor. She searched every single centimeter and she actually found the coin. How amazing is that? But this is the key verse actually. How happy she was. And the conclusion that Jesus has drawn from that. Just the coin. Maybe a coin of many. And then Jesus draw this conclusion. Rejoice with me. She said, she, she went out and she called her friends and neighbors together and she says, and says to them, Rejoice with me. I've found my lost coin. And then Jesus put this in. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There is rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents. Regardless of who that is, I want you to clearly understand that. Let's look at some conclusions. 
we have to realize that in ourselves we cannot do this. You do know that. In ourselves we are incapable of doing even the smallest good thing. We need the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus has promised us. We need to clearly understand that Jesus died for our sins and He is the one that enable us to do any of these things. In that, we need to look at some applications. Now, in this church, we're busy with various strategies, and you may or may not be aware of some of them, but there is quite a work afoot. We've done a survey in that we identified four critical success factors that we as a church need to pay attention to. The first one is prayer. So, we do hope and pray that there will be a time that there will be actual prayer meetings. But we've already structured the, the worship service, the liturgy. Have you seen how many times is there to pray? I think before the sermon started, there was three opportunities where people prayed. There's going to be a prayer after this as well. So, we want to become a praying church. The second one is leadership. As leaders, we are doing training on eldership and in various other leadership positions. We're all challenged to train and retrain ourselves. But then the two, as Bartos pointed out, I'm appointed as the home missionary. I'm focusing on outreach. So the first one is organic outreach. And I'll come back to that a little bit later. But the other one that was identified was loving relationships. Now, if we've embarked on a thing called, um, through the um, NCD survey, fellowship, if you want to read more about it, there it is. If you, you can just scan the code. I was wondering if it's going to work over TV, so I'd like anyone to confirm if it works. But I will publish a little article about it in the bulletin next week. Okay? But we are working on that as well. And then the third, the other application that I hinted to was as a, as a church, we embarking on something called organic outreach. Organic means it's growing and it starts from the council meetings that we have right now. So the first three steps, as I pointed out, do you love God? Do you love the church? Have, can you identify anybody that is lost? So, and can you start praying for them and about them? Now, to give you a memory hook, I brought a whole bunch of coins, which I'll ask Leslie to hand out, give, offer you. I want you to spend some time thinking of someone that you can influence that's lost or don't know the Lord. Then I want you to take a coin, put it in your pocket... Now, that coin is probably valueless for you because it's, none of them is Australian currency. Uh, some of them are, are rands, and by all means. The thing is, keep it in your pocket as a symbol of the person that you are thinking of and praying about and for. And it will also remind you of the parable of the lost coin. Lost at home. There are people who don't realize they're lost. They don't understand that a loving God created them. They don't realize that when this temporary life ends, an eternal life begins. 
Some people are not raised in a religious or Christian home, and others are, and it's possible to be lost in both settings. Many believe their purpose in life is to be a good person, to be financially successful and take care of their families. Whether or not there is a God or a heaven or a hell, or whether or not the Bible is true, is never an issue. People are like the coin we've talked about today. They're not trying to be lost, but they are lost. Let's pray together.